Hey, this is Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Chapel, Divine, Texas. Would really like to thank you for taking time to check out our podcast, our Sunday sermons, and our Wednesday night Bible studies. You can always share this, download it, or even find it on Spotify, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, SoundCloud, and pretty much wherever you can find a podcast. You can also find out about our church service times. We have our Sunday service at 10 a.m. and our Wednesday night Bible study at 7 p.m. We're located in the Market Media Building, which is actually hashtag Divine Color Wall. It's located at 203 East College Avenue, Sweet C in Divine, Texas. Plus, if you need to get any other information from the church, you can do all of this at our church website at calvarydivine.org. That's calvarydivine.org. Here's Pastor Michael Petit. Uh, good morning to uh, to everyone. Uh, we are really blessed to have visitors this morning. Uh, it's always nice to see faces, and also we we thank y'all for coming. Uh, we know that there are many that are watching online as well, and so we thank y'all for for listening and watching. Uh, this is uh, Calvary Chapel Divine Texas. Um, I hope you know that that you'll eventually come and and you know be able to understand that uh, uh, you know that it's time for the church to come back to church, uh, so to say. Uh, and so um, this week we're actually going to be looking at Palm Sunday. We're going to be in the Book of Mark, and uh, I, I realized when I printed the bulletins I left the verses off, and so it's uh, Mark chapter eleven verses one to eleven. Mark chapter 11, verses 1 through 11 is what we'll be going through. And um, just quick announcements. We have Easter Easter Sunday. I think that's, is that the train? No, I'm just hearing rumblings. Yeah, no. <laughs> we had some weather come in, which is always good because, you know, as you drive out here, you see all the farmland and you know that they need, uh, need rain as well as the cows. So thank God they, they got some this morning. Uh, so Easter service is next Sunday already, um, and and so at 10 a.m. we we want you to to come and, and invite somebody, bring somebody, uh, and uh, our Wednesday night Bible study is still going. Uh, we're in Nehemiah chapter two, right? We just finished. I'm trying to think how far we went in those verses and all, but we'll be we'll finish up probably chapter two uh, next week on Wednesday. And, and then tithes and offering, it's, uh, it's up to you and, and how you do that. We have the Agape box here uh, for your love offering, but you can also do it online through the website at calvarydivine.org, at calvarydivine.org. And if you need to get a hold of me for any reason at all, um, you know, for prayer or, or anything, uh, you can do that uh, through calling 210-727-4624. I keep saying it so I remember the number. <laughs> and, or you can get a hold of us on the website at calvarydivine.org uh, and it has a, a thing there for, for uh, contact and it has our email and all that mailing address and all that wonderful stuff. So this morning uh, we're going to be in Mark chapter 11. So if you want to go ahead and turn on your Bible or open up your Bible, however you, you do that, uh, we're going to start in verse 1. Uh, and uh, I guess we'll, we'll just stand as we read the Word of God since we, you know, we really blessed and all this morning. Praise God. Um, we see in verse 1 it says, Now when they drew near to Jerusalem to Bethage and Bethany at the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two of his disciples and said uh, to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately as you enter into it, you'll find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. And we'll send it back here immediately. And they went out away and found a colt tied at a door outside in the street. And they untied it. And some, some of those standing uh, there said to them, what are you doing? Untying the colt. And they told, uh, told them that Jesus had said. And they let them go. And they brought the colt to Jesus, and they threw their cloaks on it, and he sat on it. And many spread their cloaks on the road, and others uh, spread leafy branches that they had cut from the fields. And those who went out before him, those who followed, were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, and blessed is, is the coming uh, kingdom of our father David, Hosanna in the highest. And he entered Jerusalem 
and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany uh, with the twelve. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you so much uh, for this, uh, this scripture. As we look um, at many that cried out, save now, uh, save now. Um, but unfortunately, a week later or a few days later, they're going to be crying out, crucify him, crucify him. And, uh, and so I pray, you know, as we, we get into these scriptures that we look at our lives as, as are we following you? Are we followers of Christ? Are we actually trying to apply the things that we learn in the Bible in our lives? And, uh, and I pray, if, you, if you're struggling with that, I, I, I just pray that God will help you with that through the Holy Spirit. Uh, that you just ask the Lord for that help. If you're struggling with reading, if you're struggling with being in prayer, whatever it is, you know, that's, that's what the Lord is there for. It's our relationship with God, not a religion. And so we, uh, we do pray as we, uh, we prepare uh, for the last week of ministry here uh, as far as uh, seeing Jesus uh, getting ready to go to the cross uh, as he uh, has this triumphal entry today. Uh, we just thank you, Lord, for all that you did for us. And let us not forget that. Uh, let us live for you. And we just ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Alrighty, go ahead and be seated. Um, so we're going to look at this in two parts. I just entitled this simply Palm Sunday, the Triumphal Entry. And we'll look at it as the Lord has need of it in verses 1 through 6. And then the Triumphal Entry in verses 7 through 11. Now, as we look at the Triumphal Entry as Jesus begins the last week of his life, uh, before the death and resurrection, Jesus was determined to go to Jerusalem. Now, it was normal for Jesus to be in Jerusalem. We see in the book of John that he would go every year for the different, uh, the different feast. Um, and so, but this time there was a, a, you know, when people showed up for Passover, there's a mood of they're waiting to hear from God. Like there's going to, they expect to hear from the Lord at Passover. And, and so there's a buildup that happens. And this is right before, uh, you know, Lazarus was raised and they had the dinner for him. And so the religious leaders wanted to not only kill Jesus, but they wanted to kill Lazarus as well. And so the word was getting out about Jesus throughout Jerusalem, and throughout Bethany and Jerusalem. And even the uh, disciples uh, were, were, would have come into Jerusalem with some fear. And, and the reason why we say that is because Jesus tells them earlier in Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34, in Mark 10, 33 and 34, it says, saying, See, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priest and the, and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and flog him and kill him, and after three days he will rise. Now you can imagine the disciples did not catch the three days he'll rise part. They're thinking, wait a minute, we're going to Jerusalem and they're going to kill us. And so when they go into Jerusalem, they would have had some type of fear going into this. Uh, but we also see that Thomas being, you know, I think sometimes Thomas is, you know, always looked at as doubting Thomas. But Thomas actually in John eleven sixteen, 16, uh, Thomas called the twin and said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. See, we, we, we always hear the nickname doubting Thomas, but we don't see the courage that Thomas did have to go into Jerusalem. I think it's easy sometimes for us as we look at our, our lives, we reread the Scriptures and we think, oh, I would have never done that. Like that, that like the apostles did. I mean, I, I would have understood. No, you wouldn't. You know, they were, they were struggling with some of these things, but they were willing to follow Jesus into Jerusalem. And, and we struggle as well with our faith at times. But we have... You know, one of the things that Thomas did have and we have, we should have as well as loyalty and courage to step out for Christ. And it's needed now more than ever. Um, and, and so the disciples are entering into Jerusalem and, and now they're thinking, man, we started ministry with Jerusalem and now it's time to die. We're going in Jerusalem, we're going to be killed. And, and so there would have been fear as they, as they enter into Jerusalem. And so we see in, in verse 1, uh, as we see the Lord has need of it, we see that now they were drawn near to Jerusalem and to Bethphage and, and, uh, and Bethany and the Mount of Olives. Now, 
I have heard many pastors pronounce Bethage, Bethage. I've heard it pronounced probably five times over this week as I've been studying it and all. But uh, what it means is actually the uh, Bethany to Bethage. And Bethage actually means house of unripe figs. And, and so in Bethany was actually, just so you have an understanding of where Bethany, these, these towns are like two miles apart from each other, and they're heading towards, uh, towards the temple. Uh, so when you, when you look at them, they're, they're, they're actually directly entering into the temple. And, and one of the things that I really like is that when you look at Bethany, this is where his last week of ministry was done. This is where Lazarus was raised. Uh, this is where, you know, uh, the, the anointing happened in, in, in Bethany, and this is where the ascension will happen in Bethany. And so um, we see, so we, now we know where, where they're at. So they're not too far from the temple, about two miles. And, and, uh, and so now they, they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethphage and Bethany, and to the Mount of Olives. And Jesus sent two disciples, two of his disciples, and said, go into the village in front of you immediately, as you enter into it, you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Untie it and bring it. If anyone says to you, why are you doing this? Say that, uh, say the Lord has need of it. And I will send it back here immediately. And they went away and found a colt tied at the door. It's outside the, in the street. And they untied and some of those standing there said to them, what are you doing untying the colt? And they told them uh, what Jesus had said, and they let them go. And so what, one of the first things that we get from reading this is that Jesus is in control, right? And, and I think we look at our world today, and we, we're like, what's going on? But Jesus is in control. Jesus is sovereign, and that's, you know, uh, one of the things that we see is that as they get the, uh, the, the cult, um, Jesus is in control, now, whether Jesus set this up prior to or whether it was done divinely, either way, Jesus was in control. Did he set it up during one of his other visits to Jerusalem? It could have been, or it could have been done, you know, uh, spiritually. It could have been done as, as, a, as, a, uh, as a miracle, actually, as well. But either way, he's still in control of making sure this happens. He's still planning and directing and putting things into, uh, into place. And, and we know that because we, we know that Jesus was in control when He called Peter. In Luke chapter 5, verses 46, Peter, being a, an, an expert fisherman, I watched my daughter, she caught fish in Corpus last night. And all they were happy as they can be, except the girls don't like to see the fish hurt. And so they're, they're all crying and not happy. And, uh, but at the end of the day, it's like Peter was an expert fisherman. He, he, he knew how to fish. And we see in verse, uh, Luke chapter 5, verses 4 and 6, and it says, When he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out, uh, put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. And Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing, but at your word I will let down the nets. Now, I don't know how many people have been fishing and have said that. We've been toiling all night and we ain't caught nothing, right? But he, he does what, what, what God asked him to do, what Jesus asked him to do, and he says, but at your word I will let down the nets and when they done this they enclosed a large number of fish and the nets began to break uh, and so we see you know jesus uh in control in that moment and and so he's arranging things he's orchestrating things and he's been doing that since eternity he's been doing that standing outside of eternity as as we see that that we see the events that happen on this day in particular Right, as a triumphal entry, but also from age to age. He, he's in control. From event to event, he's always been in control. So when, when things look crazy, remind yourself that God is in control. In Revelation chapter 13, verse 8, it says, And, and who will dwell on earth will worship it. Everyone whose name is written uh, has not been written before the foundation of the earth in the book of the life of the Lamb who was slain. So we see before the foundation of the world, Everything's already been put in place. Jesus was in control when he was in front of Pontius Pilate. In John chapter 19, verses 10 and 11. It says, Pilate said to him, You will not speak to me. Do you not uh, know what, that I have authority to release you? 
and, and authority to crucify you? And Jesus answered, You would have no authority over me at all unless it had been given, uh, given you from above. Therefore, he who delivered me over to you has the greater sin. And so he's, he's in control. He tells them, look, you have no authority. Every politician that we have has been put in place by the Lord. And, and God has allowed them to be there. And as hard as that is for us at times, we need to just understand that Jesus is in control. As Jesus is in control. Uh, we also see that Peter, when he shared uh, in, in his first teaching in Acts chapter 2, verses 23, he said it. He said that Jesus delivered up according to the definite plan for the foreknowledge of God. You crucified Him and you killed by the hands of lawless men. It was already foreknowledge. It was a, de a definitive plan that was already placed in place. And so when we look at, 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 at 2020 and as we head into 2021 and we just see the chaos that's continuing to happen, even, even in our border, Jesus is in control. We know that there are going to be rumors of wars, right? We know that there are going to be people that are going to be pulled away. They're going to have itching ears. In Mark 13, 7, it says, When you hear wars and rumors of wars, do not be alarmed. This must take place, but the end is not yet. And we see in Luke chapter 21, verse 9, it says, And when you hear wars and tumults, do not uh, be terrified, for these things must first take place. But the end will not be at once. And Jesus is in control. He's at the right hand of God. In Colossians chapter 3, verse 1, it says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Jesus is in control. He's working out every fine detail of your life. In Romans chapter 8, verse 28. And so we see and we know in, in verse 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for those who are called according to His purpose, handling the very detail of the follower of Christ, giving us the opportunity to serve as well. And so one of the things we need to remember, even in the fine details of our life, Jesus is in control. But that verse is only for those who are believers. See, a lot of people claim that verse, but they don't, they don't follow Christ, and, and we have to be very careful with that. Uh, we know that we are His workmanship, that we're created for good works that God has prepared beforehand. And so when Jesus says the Lord has need of it, He has need of it. He has need of us. You know, we give our life to Christ and God has need of us. In 2 Corinthians 8 verse 9, it says, For you know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that though He was rich, yet for your sake He became poor, so that you by His poverty might become poor rich by serving others is how we we we've been called to be and and that understanding that the lord has need of it the lord has always been in control and and you know does jesus need anything no does jesus own everything yes so jesus is all knowing and he has need for nothing he owned all the the things that yet he possessed nothing here on earth he created the stars, and yet he had nowhere to lay his, his own head at night. In Matthew chapter 8, verse 20, it says, And Jesus said to him, Foxes have holes, and birds of air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. He fashioned everything there, is, uh, fashioned everything there is out of nothing, right? As he created uh, this world, and, and yet he had to borrow a boat to preach the gospel. And we forget that. He created every drop of rain that exists, every drop of water that we have in this world, and yet He cried out, I thirst. In John 19, 28. He created every rock, but yet He had to borrow a tomb to be buried in. He used the clouds as His chariots in Psalm 104, 3. It says He lays the beams of the chambers on the waters and He makes clouds His chariot. He rides on the wings of the wind, and yet here he had to borrow a donkey. And so the Lord has need of it. That's a question for us. You know, what does the Lord have need from us? Our time, our talent, our treasure? We see that the cult that he gets on, that he sits on, is, is a cult that's never been ridden before. We don't, we're not sure which two disciples that he sent, but two of them went. 
It was an unused colt. It was it would have been naturally unwilling to to be ridden, right? Anybody seen a horse get broken? It takes a process. It's, it's not that you're just going to jump on that horse and not get thrown off. It's a process to break that horse. And yet, you know, Jesus shows his authority over creation because the the donkey submitted to to the Lord. It's fulfilling scripture. And and Jesus that's one of the things I love about when we look at, at this and, and we see why he has to get on the colt, why he gets on the donkey, it's, it's to answer prophecy. It tells us that Jesus is the promised Savior. And, and so when we look at Matthew chapter 21, verse 4, it says that they took place to fulfill what had been spoken by the prophet saying. So which prophecy was, was it that was being told here? As he gets on the colt. It's Zechariah 9 9. That's the whole reason for the colt, the donkey. Right? Is it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout aloud, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Righteous and having salvation is he, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the fowl of a donkey. And we see that Palm Sunday is actually recorded in all four gospels. And this was the only display that Jesus allowed of worship public. This is it. This is the only one. Because it had to be done because of why? To fulfill Scripture. It had to be done to fulfill Scripture. And we know that as we look at this promised Savior, you know, as we look at you know, the Lord having need of it and the cult being given, the thing that we need to remember, as soon as he sits on that colt, the prophecy is being fulfilled. As they create the cloaks and set them down to, to create a, like a saddle for him. And then as the palm branches are starting to be placed out, it's a promised Savior that was always to come. Many things were written and fulfilled. and uh, We had the promise of the offspring. This was already put in place in Genesis 3.15. It says, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between you and the offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. In Galatians 4.4 we see, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth His Son, born a woman, born under the law. We knew that He had to be born a virgin, that it would be a boy, right? Not a... I don't even know where to go with all that. I saw something yesterday that I'm just like... They want to be called Zer and Zer, and and I'm like, hey, you're male or female? I'm sorry, I, I don't mean to go there, but it's you know Jesus is born a male. You know it says it here in Scripture. He was born of a woman, right? In Isaiah 7:14, these are all prophecies that have been fulfilled. Isaiah 7:14 uh, says that therefore the Lord Himself will give a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and and shall call his name Emmanuel. The Messiah. The prophecy had to be told that the Messiah had to flee to Egypt. In Hosea 11.1, 1, When Israel was a child, I loved him, and out of the Egypt I called my son. And that's a reference to Matthew chapter 2, verse 16, when Herod started killing the babies. And that's in the prophecy as well, as we see in Jeremiah 31.15. Thus says the Lord, A voice is heard in Ramon and lamentations and bitter weeping. Rachel is weeping for her children. She refuses to be comforted. For her children because they are no more. Men begin to despise Him, reject Him, and turn away from Jesus. That was in Scripture in Isaiah 53.3. He was despised and rejected by man, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as one whom uh, men hide their face, He was despised and He was esteemed Him not. He was the coming Messiah. He was to be like Moses. In Deuteronomy chapter 18, verse 18, I will raise up them a prophet like you from among their brothers, and I will put my words in his mouth, and he shall speak to them all that I have, all that I commanded him. We see that Jesus was sent as a servant in Isaiah chapter 61, verses 1 and 2. The Spirit of the Lord of God is upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring the good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the liberty to the captives, and open uh, and the opening of the prison to those who are bound, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor, 
favor and the day of the vengeance of our God to comfort all who mourn. We see that Jesus is the lamb that was to be slaughtered, yet he was silent in Isaiah 53, 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. We knew that Jesus would have to uh, not accept the poison uh, or the soured wine that was given to him on the cross in Psalm 69, verses 21. They gave me poison for the food and for my thirst. They gave me sour wine to drink in Matthew chapter 27, verse 34. We know that they mocked Jesus while he was on the cross in Psalm 22, verse 7. Now these are all prophecies that have been fulfilled about Christ. In Psalm 22, 7, it says, And all those who see, see me mock me. They make mouths out of me. They wag their heads. Do you, not, do you think that I cannot appeal to my Father? And he will at, at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? And he's talking about the prophecy of the Messiah hanging with the two thieves. Yeah, that's in Scripture. And, and also that the, the rich man, Joseph Arimathea, was going to come to get his body. In Isaiah 53, 9, and they gave him, and they made his grave with the wicked and with the rich man in his death. And although he had done no violence, there was no deceit in his mouth. And we see his resurrection in Psalm 16, 10, which we'll talk about next week. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol, or let your Holy One see corruption. Psalm 16, 10 said, For foretold all pointing to Jesus, we can trust. And we know that by looking at Daniel, the book of Daniel, which is a great book on prophecy, in Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, we shared this this past week in Nehemiah. This had to happen. This triumphal entry, him getting on the colt, had to happen, and it did. On the exact day it was supposed to happen. Daniel chapter 9, verses 24 and 25, it says, 70 weeks are decreed about your people and your holy city to finish the transgressions, to put an end to the sin, and to atone for the iniquity, and to bring in everlasting righteousness, to seal both vision and profit, and to anoint a most holy place. Now therefore, and understand that from the going out of the word to restore and build Jerusalem to the coming of the anointed one, a prince, there shall be seven weeks, then for sixty-two weeks, it shall be built again with squares and moats, but in a troubled time. And we know that we, we, the anointed one came, and, and it's actually seven weeks and 62 weeks, and the weeks are periods of, six, of seven years, and, and they total up to seven plus 62, which is actually 483 years, which is actually the 14th of March of 445 B.C. Now, if you want to go more into this, I have it. It was on our teaching Wednesday. We went knee-deep into this. But it's in Nehemiah chapter 2, verses, uh, chapter 2, verses 1, when it says, In the month of Nisan, in the twentieth year of King Arxerxes, when the wine was before him, I took up the wine and gave it to the king, and now I had not been sad in his presence. Now what happens in verses 7 and the 8, there's our wonderful train. <laughs> what happens in verses 7 and 8 is the king says, Yes, you can go. Why is that important? Because the things that need to be rebuilt in Jerusalem and restored, temple's done, but the walls need to be restored so the people can return back to worship. And that happens on the exact date on the year of Nisan, the 20th year. And then we see the triumphal entry that happens in the city of Jerusalem in April 6th of 32 AD. You can't tell me the Bible's not real. I don't care who you are. You, you can't tell me. It, I just gave you prophecy after prophecy after prophecy about Jesus, and that's just a handful of them. There's more in the Bible. But to say that he came on the exact day, so when he comes in on that colt, it's the triumphal entry. It was prophesied by Daniel. And then by a secular president or king, right? He's not even a believer. And, and Nehemiah had prayed for months for it to be put on the heart of the king to let him go. And that's what I love about this because that's Jesus in control. God in control. It's always been planned. There's never been a plan B 
or plan C, there's only been one plan and it's been Jesus and it's throughout the Bible. There's, there's no way to hide that. So if you're following something where you think there's many roads to heaven, you're wrong. There's only one, it's Jesus. And so we see the triumphal entry, entry and, I, and I love this, and it says, and they brought the colt to Jesus and they threw their cloaks on it and he sat on it and many spread their cloaks on the road and others spread leafy branches, which would have been palms, uh, that they had cut from fields. And those who went out before those who were shouting, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, blessed is the coming of the kingdom of our father, David, Hosanna in the highest. And so now what we know uh, from historians that 80,000 people lived in Jerusalem at the time. Now out of the 80,000 people, when Passover happened, it could have been anywhere between 2 to 3 million people in a city. And so you can imagine it's, it's the city's bursting at the seams. And they're all anticipating to hear from God. And they start hearing rumors of Jesus. People are coming in from all different areas and they're hearing all these miracles that Jesus did. And they, he, they just heard about Lazarus. And so now you can, you can imagine this boiling up that's happening in the city. And, and so what we have is, is one of the things I love is when Jesus comes in, He comes in with humility. He's riding a colt, a donkey. We know if we look at, at, at Scripture during the Old Testament times and, and important events, they rode horses. They rode unbridled animals, right? And, and so, you know, here he is riding a, a, a donkey and a colt, which was humbly coming in. And they laid down their cloaks and they, and, and they were excited. And we see the palm trees, John 12 Verse 13 actually talks about that. It says, so they took branches of palm trees. So that's how we know they're palms, right? In Mark's audience, we have to remember who the book is written for. Mark's audience is written for who? Romans, Roman Jews. They were Romans that they were trying to. That's who his audience was for. And so Mark's audience would have thought, I've seen these victory parades in Rome, right? When they have these victory parades in Rome, they would march in all the spoils of the war that they received, the gold, all the exotic animals. They, they, they talk about some of the, uh, the parades had tigers and, and different elephants and, and stuff that they got from that land. And then here comes the king on a war horse. And here our king comes in humbly on a donkey because this is not the time. His second coming is coming. And when that comes, uh, we'll read about that. That's important. So you can understand where Mark's audience is on this. We know the Jews had Simon Maccabeus, and they had many victories, and he had actually a parade in Jerusalem. He, he actually had a parade, and, and they wanted that again. That's what they wanted. You think about Muhammad when he came, he was the king of war, right? He's coming to Mecca. With war horses and soldiers, and what does he do? He's, you either convert or we kill you. And that's very similar to what it is now. It's, in the Middle East, that's pretty much what it is. And, and so we see our Christ coming in on a donkey, humbly. And they're expecting a king to come in. To come in and, and, and do what? To overthrow Rome. And that's not what's going to happen. But we know that when Jesus comes the second time, He came as a lamb the first time, humbly. Second time, He's coming as a lion. And I'm going to read you a little bit of what's going to happen in, in uh, Revelation 19.11. And uh, Revelation 19.11 says, I saw a heaven open up, and behold, a white horse. The one on it, it, on it is called faithful and true and in righteousness he judges and makes war I don't sound like no friendly <laughs> he's coming to make war right now he humbly came here on Palm Sunday but when he comes back he's coming to make war his eyes are like like a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems and he has a name written that no one knows but himself 
He is clothed in, in robe, dipped in blood, and, in, and uh, the name by which He is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heavens arrayed in a fine linen, and white and pure, and while following Him on a white horse, from His mouth comes a sharp sword with which to strike down. And the nations, and He will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of fury of the wrath of God the Almighty on His robe and on His thigh. He has name His name. Uh, he, he has His name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. See, He's the only King that we need. I I don't want to be on the other side of that. I'm sorry. I I I humbly come before you, Lord, and ask you to be my Savior. But see, that's what happens here. Is what we see that when the King comes in now, He humbly comes in, as as He comes in for the triumphal in, uh, entry. He humbly comes in, and they're crying out, "Save us! Save us!" That's what Hosanna means. John the Baptist said that in John chapter 1, verse 29, the next day he saw Jesus towards him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And we know that Jesus, the conquering King, is coming, but we also know that He was the suffering servant. That He was the Lamb of God that was without spot or blemish and He was perfect. And He died on the cross for us. So as we humbly serve Christ, how are we supposed to serve Christ? Right? We're, we're, we're His followers here. What are we supposed to do? We went over this a couple weeks ago uh, in, in Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 5, the Beatitudes. A couple of them that we should be doing are the first three. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. And blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. We should be humble. Meek in spirit, right? Something that Americans struggle with, I think, at times. We see, uh, you know, just a boldness of, of darkness that's trying to come out. And, and this church has to stand up. And, and we have to humbly stand up for God's Word in truth and love. But we need to be standing firm in the faith. And we see as they, in those, in verse 9, it says, And those who went before... And those who followed were shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. Hosanna in the highest. And so you can imagine, worship breaks out with two to three million people shouting, Hosanna! Hosanna! And Jesus brought salvation. When Jesus comes, this is not what he's coming for. When he comes in for the triumphal entry, you know, what, what He has to do on the cross, that's what salvation is. Him coming in right now, you know, He's, he's, he's doing this to fulfill Scripture. And so they're wanting to be saved now from del the deliverance of... But not to be saved from their sin. They want to be saved from Rome. From Rome. They just want to be saved from the Roman rule. That's why they, they're crying out, Son of David. That's not what Jesus was there for. Jesus was there to, uh, to, to set up what was going to happen on the cross. He provides salvation through death on the cross. And, and they're, they're really, Psalm 118 is what's being uh, sung here. In Psalm 118, verse 25 and 26. It says, save us, we pray, O Lord. O Lord, we pray, give us success. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. We bless you from the house of the Lord. In Psalm 18, 118 is what they sung. And it's funny because when they dedicated the, the walls in Jerusalem, what did they sing? Psalm 118. Psalm 118. But what do the religious leaders do? They get upset. Because they knew they were singing Psalm 118. The Pharisees got upset and they said in Luke 19, verses 39 and 40, they said, and some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He answered, I tell you, if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. It's like even if these two to three million people stop singing, the stones will cry out. They'll cry out. And everything is 
moving towards the temple. And you can imagine, you know, this crowd of people crying out, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they're going to the, uh, the heart of the city. <laughs> and then what does Jesus do? It's, it's crazy when you read verse 11, he just takes the air out of the situation. Right? In verse 11, he says, and, and he entered Jerusalem and he went into the temple. And he, when, he looked, when he looked around at, at everything, it was already late. So he went, out to, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. You can imagine this crowd ready for this. Is he going to bring down fire? You know, what's going to happen? Is he going to knock Rome out right now? We're going we're gonna to see this. And then Jesus just goes, ah, I'm done. This is not it. This is not what we were here for. You know, y'all are wanting, wanting to see swords be carried, but that's why you have palms in your hands. We're here in peace. I humbly come in peace. And it's an ama- amazing moment of worship. And sometimes what happens is we see uh, this, this crescendo that happens and we can be at church on Sunday and we can leave on a high on Sunday, but by Monday it's gone. Or we can go to a conference or a concert and we're in the worship and the lights and all the stuff and then we come out of there strong and the next morning you wake up defeated. It's kind of like that. The air is just being taken out of it. We need to understand that at the end of the day, um, you know, we're called to, to be children of God and, and, and we should spur each other on. And we should be in the Word of God. We should be in prayer. We should be building our relationship with the Lord. And these same people that are, are crying out, save now, save now, will now be crying out a few days later, crucify Him. Crucify him. They didn't get what they wanted. Sounds a lot like America, right? We don't get what we want, and what do we do? We get on some. We get online. We start complaining. You know, we get upset. I do it. I'm saying I do it. I'm like, man, I this should have already been done. I see what's happening on the border. It breaks my heart. It should have already been fixed. There, there are kids. Those are kids. That needs to stop immediately. And yet we need to be on our knees in prayer praying for somebody with, you know, maybe the Mexican president will stand up and do something because it's sure not happening with ours. And we're seeing kids that should never make a trip. That's like a trip from California to, to Virginia. A nine-year-old, eight-year-old, seven-year-old kid going by themselves with somebody they don't even know. It's crazy. It's crazy. And, and, and so we, we need to understand that, that we're, we're called to be children of God. These are things that we definitely need to be praying for. We want to cry out, save them, save them. But at the same time, what is it that we can do? You know? And God wants to use us. And um, Jesus would have heard them crying out, save them, save them. But it's not time. Because He has to deliver them from sin. Jesus came to destroy Satan and came to destroy sin. He came to destroy the power of darkness and He's going to do all of that on the cross and there will be victory in that through His resurrection. You know, sadly, I, I saw something yesterday. I think Ms. Donna posted it first. And it was on the shoes that were being made. They're, they're, hev- they're, they're heaven shoes and then they're Satan shoes. Jesus shoes and Satan shoes. They're not, and they're actually not being made by Nike. They're actually a company that is buying all the Air Max 97s. And this kid, Little Nas X, uh, who's a rapper, actually, they put human blood in the shoes. I, in, in my lifetime, I never thought I would see the boldness of, of Satan this way. And when you go to the website, there's, there's satanic uh, markings. There's information on satanic worship and and it's like i i just can't in my lifetime never thought i would see something like this and 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 it just goes to show us that we're we're nearing the end of times the the devil's getting extremely bold but it's up to the church because those are our youth they can turn on it's like we were listening to mike mcintosh this morning you can turn on any of the TV shows, the airwaves, whether you're watching 
online through a um, uh, casting Roku or whatever you're watching, Netflix or whatever, and you can you can have your you know your your heart singed with sin. Just all the shows that are out there that are just demonic. And you can turn on the radio or you can listen to it through your, your, your casting network, whatever it is, whether it's Spotify or whatever, and there's demonic people just like this, little Nas X. Matter of fact, he did a video. Don't watch the video. Please do not go watch the video. Because there are satanic references all throughout the video. Don't do it. It's sad because they're drawing your kids... And, and to steal, kill, and destroy. And parents are dead asleep, and y'all need to wake up. This triumphal entry, the reason we, ha- I, I believe that the reason we celebrate Easter is because there are people right now, whether it's in Divine, whether it's in Natalia, or regardless of where you're at, that are saying, Save me now, Lord. Save me now. I love what Michael Youssef said. My wife sent this to me this morning. He said, King Jesus rode into Jerusalem not to conquer a city like an earthly king, but to conquer your heart and mine. That's why He came. He didn't come to conquer Jerusalem. He didn't come to conquer and lead like an earthly king. He came to conquer your heart and mine. And that's such an important thing to remember. And I think we forget that. And so as we see this this triumphal entry, it's a a wonderful verse. Uh, Next week we'll look at the resurrection on Sunday. We have Easter Sunday. Actually, we'll start at 10 and we'll actually have worship, which I'm excited. So Lester and uh, Melissa are going to be here next week for worship. I'm excited about that. And so Easter Sunday, get off your couch and get to church. I don't care if it's this church, but get to church. It's time. Okay? You, you, you can't watch. It's hard watching. I've tried watching TV at, at church. At, at TV, it's TV, really. But watching church and people are walking through as you're... I'm like, bro. You know, you don't walk right in front. I'm trying to watch. This is church service, you know? And so at the end of the day, come to church. Almost every church has opened up. And so you need to be at church. You need the fellowship. You need that. We're supposed to be among our brethren, our brothers and sisters in the Lord, spurring each other on, praying with each other. You know, we were so excited we had people show up this morning because we, we need that. You know, even if it's a visit, we love it. But we need to be spurring each other on, and you need to get to church. So. Uh, we would love to have you here at Calvary Chapel Divine. I want you to know that you are loved and that there is hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. Um, that, that you're not hopeless. And even though the world seems like a very dark place right now, God is asking you to be the light. He's calling you to be the light. And so um, I'm praying that that's what happens. Let's pray and we'll go ahead and close up. Father God, we thank you so much for today. We thank you for your word. We do pray and we just, as we hear your words of of the triumphal entry and we hear all those prophecies, how could we not believe in you? How could we not believe in you? That you are the way, the truth, and the life. There's only one way and it's through you, Lord Jesus. I pray if there's anybody that's that's struggling this morning, there's anybody that's feeling that hopelessness, maybe they're uh, maybe they don't feel loved this morning. You're loved. You're loved. God loves you. God wants a relationship with you. I thank you so much for uh, being able to be in your word. And I ask, Lord, how do we apply it? What does the Lord have need of from me? My time, my talent, my treasure. Where, if God said I need that, am I ready? It, it, I, I love, I heard something last night from, from Kirk Cameron and he talked about something his daughter wrote as, as his daughter wrote a poem about having palms open, not grasping anything of the world, not trying to reach and grab things from the world, but waiting for God to give what exactly we need. 
we have rebellious hearts and we want so many different things of this world and we don't need them. And so, Lord, whatever we have need, you have need for, let us give it freely. And, and, and I just, I'm talking about our time, our talent, our treasure. Uh, and at the same time, Lord, as we cry out, Hosanna, Hosanna, we say save now. But we cry out, Maranatha, Maranatha, which is come, Lord, come. We thank you so much, Father God, that you're sending your son, Jesus Christ, to return. And I pray there are people that are asleep right now that think they have time. You will come. You will come in a blink of an eye. And the rapture will happen. And so I pray, Lord, if there's anybody in Divine, anybody in Natalia, anybody that's in Lytle or Hondo or, or Pearsall, just wake them up, Lord. Wake them up. And if you're asleep and you belong to God already, wake up. It's time to wake up. Uh, the devil, sure enough, coming after your marriage and your kids. So you need to wake up. Stand for the Lord. Stand firm in the faith. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Thank you all so much. The Wednesday night at 7 p.m. we'll be here. Uh, and we'll be in the book of Nehemiah on Wednesday. Okay? I hope to see you all then. God bless. Thank you so much. That was Pastor Michael Petit from Calvary Divine, Texas. Remember, if you need to get more information on the church, you can do that at calvarydivine.org. God bless.